Hello, and welcome to another episode of Vital Science. Today, we conclude our three-part series on drug repurposing. We began this discussion with an inspiring story from Dr. David Fagenbaum, who shared his perspectives as a patient clinician and researcher in his quest to cure his own Castleman disease. Dr. Fagenbaum's experience really demonstrated the tangible and immediate effect drug repurposing can have on a person's life. However, it also shed some light on the challenges and roadblocks that may be faced along the way. As we learned, the journey that gets scientists from an existing therapeutic to a new indication in a safe and effective manner is rarely a straight line. Navigating us through the turns in episode two were Charles Rivers' own Ian Waddell, Chief Scientific Officer, and Vad Lazari, Director of Integrated Biology. Together with Barbara Killian, Senior Product Manager in Discovery, Ian and Vad explained that while there is no exact roadmap for drug repurposing, the process is getting more efficient. Tools like machine learning and artificial intelligence have helped scientists to more efficiently identify the hidden potential of existing therapies, often shaving valuable years off the drug development timeline. I can't think of a better way to round out this discussion than by sharing the story of Sanath Ramesh, founder and CEO of Open Treatments. Although you won't be able to tell it from listening to him, as his knowledge and eloquence on the topic is impeccable, Sanath stands apart from our previous guests. A longtime software engineer, he began his drug repurposing journey with no professional experience in medicine or drug development. But when his son was born with a rare and debilitating genetic condition, Sanath took it upon himself to investigate unconventional treatment options, conduct his own extensive literature review, and personally connect with scientists in the field, including those here at Charles River. His inspiring transformation into a self-made drug hunter led him to found Open Treatments, a collaborative platform for fellow families and patient organizations investigating rare disease therapies. Barbara Killian joins the conversation again, along with Dr. David Fisher, Executive Science Director at Charles River, to help illustrate just how powerful it can be when patients like the Ramesh family and CROs like Charles River come together in partnership. I'm eager to share this story with you, so I'll go ahead and turn it over to Chris. Welcome to episode three in our series on drug repurposing. Back again is Barbara Killian from Charles River's Discovery Team. Welcome back, Barbara. Thanks, Chris. Looking forward to our next story. And also joining us is Dr. David Fisher, Executive Science Director at Charles River, and Sanath Ramesh, founder and CEO of Open Treatments. Welcome to you both. David, you were a guest of Vital Science earlier this year, but can you reintroduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Yes, so I, I work at the discovery part of the uh, of the Charles River organization, and we work with clients to design and, and execute their drug discovery programs, and some of them really to start from scratch. And this, this is across different therapeutic areas, um, and also uh, nowadays, with a variety of different uh, drug modalities from small molecules to cell therapies. And Sanath, I'm really honored to have you as our guest here. Your open treatment platform has been described by science as a roadmap for drug development that will supercharge patients, allowing them to act like their own small biotech. But before we dive into details of that platform, can we go back to the beginning and, and how this journey started? I understand it began the day your son Raghav was born. 
Yes, thanks for having me um, in the show. It's a real honor for me to be talking to you all here. My journey um, started when my son was born, uh, but it was not until his first birthday that we actually got his diagnosis and a name for all of his challenges. When he was born, um, right away we noticed he had significant abnormalities. He did not have the energy to move his hands or legs like other babies do. Um, he did not take anything by mouth, and so he had to be fed through a tube um, going through his nose. Um, and for the next year, um, we struggled with Raghav not reaching any of his developmental milestones. Um, we saw him struggle to even lift his head up. Um, and in fact, it was uh, it, it took us even several months. And even today, he doesn't he cannot lift his head up on his own. Um, and so on his first birthday. Um, we got uh, Raghav's diagnosis. Uh, we got to know that he has an ultra, ultra rare genetic disease due to a mutation in a gene called GPX4. Um, when we got his diagnosis, the doctors told us there is no treatment, no cure, nothing that could be done about this disease. Uh, and so they sent us home to just love Raghav like we ever could and uh, hope and pray for the best. So when we came back home, we said, well, we just cannot sit here idle. We know from the literature that kids born with this condition passed away a few weeks or months after birth. So we knew Raga was already in overtime, and we did not want to delay that any further. And so right away, we got started in our journey towards finding a treatment for Raghav. We read through the scientific literature, understood the the disease and the gene a little bit more, and then started reaching out to a lot of you know resources uh, in the scientific community. And these are um, you know academic professors, these are drug development companies, and these are including folks like Charles River, um, and many of them that we reached out to to get our drug development journey started. I I can't even imagine that what you went through and then that the willpower to just turn 180 and, and, and start this, this journey and, and looking for those answers. Um, so Sanath, how did you come uh, to direct contact with David from Charles River then? Yeah, and I think it was through another uh, connection at Charles River. Um, I had reached out to Dr. Lauren Black a couple of months after my son's diagnosis, and she was the one that introduced us to David and uh, asked us to talk uh, about possible options of, of drug repurposing. At that stage, I had no idea what I, what I had to be doing um, because all of this was new to me. I did not even know what uh, a gene meant, so I had to, you know, Google everything and look at read Wikipedia to to get up to speed on all these terminologies. Uh, and David and I have been, uh, you know, had been speaking since then for a variety of projects. It started with a drug repurposing activity that we were hoping to get started in 2019. And at that point, there were many prerequisites that had to be done to get the repurposing study started. We, need, we first needed a cell line, we first needed an assay on the cell line, and then we could go through a repurposing and also we needed money for it. And so I said, well, I just cannot wait six to nine months for all of these to be ready. And so I doubled down on the scientific literature, uh, read through a lot of papers and identified uh, 36 drugs that I could potentially repurpose for my son's condition. And in just about three or four weeks after his diagnosis, we got him started on a cocktail of four drugs that he has been on uh, since then. Um, and so David and I have been working on projects subsequent to that. 
Sanath, I'm so amazed um, when I talk to families like yours that you mentioned how little you knew about genomics when it started, but just hearing you talk about cell lines and, and, and um, all you need to start a drug development program, I'm just so impressed by, as um, Chris said, you know, the, what you had to do and, and how quickly you did that. Sanath's initiative to learn about Raghav's condition and treatment options is commendable, as information regarding rare diseases can be scarce. For rare disease families, finding resources can often feel like looking for a needle in a haystack. A rare disease is defined as a condition that affects fewer than 200,000 people in the United States. However, the total number of Americans living with a rare disease is estimated at between 25 and 30 million, or 1 in 10 of our population. Among these conditions lies a subcategory of ultra-rare disease. It has been proposed that a disease is considered to be ultra-rare if it affects one patient per 50,000 people, or fewer than 20 patients in a population of 1 million. For those patients in particular, therapies may not yet be available due to resources and long development timelines. Let's hear more about Sanath and how drug repurposing can prove useful in treating rare and ultra-rare diseases. So David, what what is the first piece of advice you give to families when they connect with you? So yeah, my, my first question really is that, that genetic diagnosis, if, if that has been made, um, what, what is the gene that is, uh, that is mutated? Uh, what is the mutation or mutations uh, if, if both alleles are affected? But it also is indeed a, a starting point, uh, a journey towards um, finding a potential treatment uh, for that, that indication. So, yeah, yeah, I can't emphasize how important that genetic diagnosis can be. Now, very often the second question that, that I, I ask is, um, have, you, have you collected any cells of, of, of the patient, like skin fibroblasts, something relatively simple? Um, because if we figure out that, that we need to help with the repurposing screen, you need cells, patient cells, and we heard that from David Fagenbaum that he he says the reason he's alive today is because he had done exactly that, taken his own cell samples. So David, the screen that you're doing right now is with Raghav's own cells. That is correct. Yeah, his uh, his skin cells. As we've heard in our previous episodes, there's many paths to drug development. When Sanath shared the details of Raghav's condition to you, what made you consider a repurposing screen? So. Clearly, the, the strategy that, that Sonath has taken to look in, in literature at, at potential um, off-label drugs that, that, that could alleviate some of the symptoms, that this is one uh, very powerful way to, uh, to discover new uses for drugs um, and, and thereby repurpose them for a novel indication. Um, there are a number of other strategies that, that you can use, and, and some of them take a little bit longer and and the one that that we're running right now is really the, the one that is, is probably um, the the broadest strategies by screening every single molecule that that is on the market or that that has been in um, in clinical trials and perhaps it just hasn't progressed yet or it didn't work in that particular indication and and screen those in in cell culture on Raghav cells, 
looking to restore the uh, the cellular phenotype that that we've observed in those cells that is different from a, a control cell line um, and, and this is indeed the assay that that was already mentioned that that phenotypic difference between uh, ragaf cells and and control cells and we're trying to find um, any drug that that restores that that uh, that phenotype uh, as much as possible back to the uh, the control cell levels but that's that's not the only strategy that that you can look at so we're testing about five and a half thousand individual molecules yeah. so it, it's indeed a, a large set of compounds something you would never be able to test in an animal model if there would be an animal model so this is clearly where cell culture and, and those uh, miniaturized assays at 384 well format, for instance, really come into play. Drug repurposing is only a piece of this drug development plan. What other strategies are being used? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, Barbara. And I think um, what, what Sonoth is doing is, is keeping all options open at the moment. And, and clearly, um, gene therapy could potentially be a uh, a treatment uh, because in in Ragov, a, a gene is missing GPX4, so replacing that gene through a gene therapy uh, vector, of course, would would then um, attack the disease at at the root of its uh, its cause, uh, which is the, the lack of the gene. Of course, to develop a gene therapy product, um, it takes quite a bit of time. Uh, I think the timelines have, have definitely gone shorter over the years. So um, because these, these symptoms, of course, warrant um, a more expedient treatment, a drug repurposing screen uh, hopefully can give us potential treatments while the gene therapy project is on its way. So, Sanath, that was that's your original goal to address the symptoms now and hopefully slow some progression as you wait for this gene therapy to be developed. That is precisely true. We wanted to get a treatment today that's that's slowing things down, hopefully, and uh, a treatment tomorrow um, that would be more longer term. Gene therapy is a promising treatment method for rare disease patients, as more than 80% of rare diseases have a known monogenic or single gene cause. But this area of treatment is still finding its footing in drug development. While the scientific community has identified about 7,000 rare diseases, only 5% have approved treatments. The most active area of gene therapy research for children has been for genetic disorders like cystic fibrosis. As Sanath mentioned, gene therapy can offer rare disease patients hope as it has the potential to actually cure the condition by addressing its underlying genetic defects. Another upside is that successful gene therapy may require only a single dose rather than requiring a lifetime of ongoing treatment. However, these therapies can take years to develop as emerging gene therapies work their way through the pipeline Identifying and repurposing existing drugs can offer relief to patients like Raghav. Let's hear from Sanath and Dr. Fisher on what this screening process looks like. So we've also learned through this series that drugs that are approved for one indication may not be used as they were originally designed in another indication. So with a patient that has this complex of a disease, um, 
I can imagine there being necessary to look at other side effects, off-target effects of this drug, so it doesn't have any negative impacts. Yeah, and I think that that is is sometimes um, well not forgotten, but it's it's a very important aspect of of such a drug repurposing screen because you test every compound as as as, as equals. You may indeed identify that that um, some supplements that you thought could be beneficial actually aggravated the phenotype, made things uh, at least in that cell culture assay worse. Um, so yeah, it, it it tells you both potential drugs that that could be tried if they're of course fit for purpose, but also perhaps um, drugs or supplements that should be avoided. This is this is where some clinical um, expertise also comes in. So once we identified um, identify some drugs through these screens. Um, uh, the next step is actually even a, even even a longer step, and and it's something that I'm actually going through for a couple of other drugs um, that we had uh, identified through literature search. Uh, and that step involves, you know, a clinician making sure the drug is safe to be given to this condition, uh, determining the dose in which um, the drug can be given, and, and even even if the drug is FDA approved, it will it, the formulation that it's uh, currently available in a pharmacy might not work for uh, my son for example there is a mol- there is a drug um, that is available as a 120 milligram capsule my son cannot even swallow saliva today let alone swallowing a capsule right we have to re- reformulate that into a into a solution and there are challenges doing that um, we probably will have to start with a pretty low dose um, of the drug um, and escalate it over time to make sure to find the maximum tolerated dose for him. And that might also not be uh, possible right away um, if the drug formulation is not available at, that, at low doses. And so there are a lot of um, steps that we would do in parallel in the clinic to ensure the, the drug is safe and tolerated. Um, and that's, that's again, a, a, a longer process after we get through the screen. Sanath, can you describe what it was like to suddenly become a member of a drug development team? I'd like to say it was awesome, but um, (laughs) there's always the other part of me which uh, uh, feels like an imposter, right? And I am an imposter here because I'm in this this journey that I did not want to be in, uh, but I'm I'm here out of compulsion. It it, it feels awesome um, that I'm in a part of the team understanding the science and, and being able to make the decisions and calls. Uh, but at the same time, I, I every single day, you know, I, I get reinforced that I know nothing in this industry, that I know very little, um, and so I'm always on in the quest uh, of trying to talk to more people that are that are smarter, that are more intelligent, that will give me um, a, a different mental model on how to think about all of these uh, possibilities. And in addition to that, I am always on the quest to bring more people into my team. Um, so we we augment our perspectives with 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 more experience. So Sanath, how did that experience become the motivation for the Open Treatments platform? The experience that I gathered initially through the drug development process um, that I embarked on, mo- mostly around small molecules, uh, were very helpful in, in in helping me find the right people and the expertise to get a gene therapy treatment started for my son. Um, but as I was going through this process, I realized I could spend the $5 million to build a gene therapy for my son, although I did not have the money for it, I could raise that. Uh, but even if I did that with just nine patients worldwide, um, no company is going to take this treatment forward to the clinic. Um, and that 
means that kids born with this condition five years from now, 10 years from now, are not going to have this treatment available to them. And that hurts. So I started looking at what other foundations uh, were doing to solve this problem and other other problems that they're facing. Um, And I observed consistent patterns. Um, All of the foundations are operating just like how I do, um, you know, just just making shit up on the way, right? Um, And these foundations have to learn a lot of things very quickly, act like they know a lot, but they actually don't. uh, And along the way, make a lot of mistakes. Um, and the foundations that have gotten a treatment in the clinic um, or close to um, getting a treatment in the clinic have told me that they um, spent a lot of money just redoing some of their experiments uh, because they made mistakes along the way that could have been avoided with the right expertise. And so I started open treatments out of the necessity to help me and help other patient foundations build a robust gene therapy program. Um, and through the Open Treatments Foundation, we um, hope to decentralize drug development and bring more patients and patient foundations into the drug development space by giving them the right tools so they can develop a treatment um, without making a lot of these mistakes. Um, we we have the roadmap that we we have a roadmap for gene therapy development that we've built um, with David Fisher um, and several other groups um, that is available uh, through Open Treatments. Um, I'm also putting together a team of experts that. Uh, could go and help these patient foundations answer their questions, help them make scientific decisions um, and regulatory decisions along along the way. Um, and, and this is, again, a starting point for me to understand how best to bring in more people into drug development. Can you describe a little bit more about how open treatment works? So right now, uh, there is a software platform wherein a patient foundation would go and sign up um, and they would answer a few questions to determine whether gene therapy um, is is a good fit for their disease or not. Um, And if it is, then they would be presented with a roadmap um, from getting started to building the right disease models um, to getting the proof of concept for the gene therapy up and running um, all the way through manufacturing. Um, And the roadmap, obviously, is just a generic roadmap that a lot of people could adapt. Um, And so the first step for them to do is is to do a gap analysis, working with us um, to to look at what has been done so far in their disease, in their foundation, uh, and identify where they should uh, invest uh, their money in to to take them to the clinic. And based on the gap analysis, we update the roadmap and and present it back uh, in the software platform for the foundations. Um, the, the software platform also provides a project management interface um, with giving them a, an estimate of cost and the time it would take for them to um, build their therapies, uh, build each step of the therapies, in fact. And uh, this helps them to keep their cost and time under check. Um, the platform also allows you to reach out to different service providers, um, including you know, contract research organizations or individual scientific consultants um, that you might need to work with in order to advance your program. David, you've guided many clients through their drug development programs. From a drug developer's point of view, how did you give Sanath guidance as he developed this open treatment platform? Of course, every client is different, but what we clearly wanted to do here, and this was a team effort, so it, it wasn't just, just me working with, with Sanath, but, but there were others uh, that were consulting on this whole process, is really design something that, that, that wouldn't create a billion dollar drug but rather something fit for purpose for ultra rare indications so where you have a very small number of patients 
um, and also where it, it's uh, the most economical program. So we really wanted to design something that was just building on the technologies that are now tried and tested and approved. Sanath and David, we've been discussing repurposing previously approved drugs to speed up the drug development, but it sounds as though you are also repurposing the drug development process itself. Absolutely, and and um, be- because a number of gene therapy programs have progressed from preclinical studies through clinical studies, and and some of them have now been approved, we can clearly learn from that, and and hopefully. Um, by sticking as as close as possible to that whole process, understanding what kind of test you need to do at which stage, um, how to manufacture the uh, the drug product, uh, both for for research purposes, but of course also finally as a as a clinical product. I think that that understanding that whole process that is what we've tried to to put into the roadmap. Um, and yeah, thereby you repurpose the, the process of developing these, these drug therapies. We do think that, that this is not the final product. I think it, as, as, as we all progress through scientific developments, we, as a community, we learn and we optimize. So hopefully those, those optimizations can feed back into the roadmap and, and make it, um, quicker, easier. Uh, more effective and and with a higher chance of success over time. Sanath, anything to add to that? I think the the big key point to underscore when, when it comes to repurposing is 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 standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Um, we have to get to a point in drug development in general, um, not just in gene therapy, but also in small molecules, AAVs, or any other technologies where we are reusing what has been done before uh, and and not going after. Um, inventing something new for the sake of it. Um, well, there is a lot of um, opportunity for for commercial attra- for commercial upside when you go invent something new. Uh, there is still a lot of opportunity when uh, you repurpose something um, by by taking it to the clinic. Uh, and so, the the act of repurposing drug development process is just one attempt to understand how much of what we already know is applicable. And, and something that can be scaled to a lot of people. With open treatments, Sanath has found a way to impart his knowledge and empower the rare disease community to not only understand the drug development process, but to help drive it. Through this online platform, users receive a roadmap to help them work through the gene therapy pipeline, from planning and design all the way through the manufacturing and clinical trials. It also connects users with service providers and members of the research community, so they don't need to walk this journey alone. Let's hear more from Sanath about his inspiration for open treatments and his advice for other rare disease families. Sanath, what really struck me about your story was, as you said in the beginning, how much did you really know about genomics or even about this ultra-rare disease? But you were able to use some of your other talents, your engineering talents, to support your son. So what advice would you give other families that feel frustrated? We know many rare families feel that they don't know how to help, but you uniquely use your talents to help your son. I think the bottom line is that we need to create um, networks. Um, And these could be networks of engineers, networks of scientists, networks of parents or families, 
that all work towards one purpose. And so regardless of the skill sets you have, uh, you probably have already been building networks in your own ways. For example, if you if you if you run um, uh, uh, if you run a grocery store at your local um, town, you probably have a network of friends that also run grocery stores, right? And everybody has in their life built networks of some sort or the other. Um, if all of us can come together um, and help build a network towards a common purpose of building a treatment, uh, I, I think that would be fantastic. Uh, and so as a parent, if you have the capability to to, to read the signs, understand that, uh, get into drug development, uh, well, awesome, you should do that. But in addition to that, you should also be constantly thinking about how can we get a bunch of people together that have the right skill sets, that complement each other towards a common purpose. And how do we instill that common purpose in them so they keep continuing to work on it? Uh, and then how do we raise the funds necessary for this network to keep making progress towards treatment? And if you work backwards from that perspective, um, I think there is an opportunity for almost every one of us to contribute um, to drug development. Yeah, it's all about making those connections. And David, you obviously have drug development talents, and you've dedicated your talents to so many drug development programs that I've watched over the years. But in this case, I know most of your time at this project was volunteer. I thought maybe you could take this opportunity here to tell our listeners about how you use Charles River's One Day program towards this project. Absolutely, yeah. So Charles River is, is, is very committed to investing in the communities in, in which we, we work and live. And as, as part of that commitment, every Charles River employee uh, can spend a certain percentage of their time uh, to volunteer in that, that community. And, and that can be gardening at uh, in the local council or it, it can be painting something uh, like a community center or it it, it can also be um, something scientific if, if that that fits um, and and a very good example is the contribution that that a lot of our medicinal chemists have given over the course of a couple of years now to a Medicines for Kids uh, initiative. This is a, a not-for-profit that uh, wants to develop a, a treatment for pediatric brain cancer. Um, and, and this is open science. Um, so our, our medicinal chemists design molecules, they are tested, and, and everything is, is published online um, so that, that we can seek further input from the community. Uh, and this is all done through uh, to volunteer time. Um, so in, in the same spirit, uh, I've, uh, of course, volunteered time uh, last year to uh, to help Sanath build this platform. And actually, Charles Avery is committed to, to further support the Open Treatments platform by volunteering yet more time uh, to those individual uh, families, foundations that, that come through the platform uh, because uh, we feel that that you you still need um, scientific input at different stages to look at at some of the details uh, involved in uh, in disco- discovering these therapies and and testing them. You mentioned that M4K is an open science platform. For those who may not be familiar with open science, it means the research is open access, public information available to other researchers and the general public. With the name of Open Treatments, does that mean this is open access as well, that the research will be shared? 
That's correct. We will definitely share all of our learnings publicly. And uh, we have open sourced the entire software platform. So you can basically look at the source code of the software platform on, on GitHub in a project called RareCamp, R-A-R-E-C-A-M-P. Uh, and we'll continue share, sharing out all of our learnings um, that's coming out of it. Uh, we might likely not share uh, the scientific, um, you know, advancements that each of the foundations do uh, and it is really depending on uh, dependent on the foundation's uh, interest to share that or not um, and that is not something that we force them to do uh, but everything that we do as a part of open treatments is is 100 open and publicly accessible uh, and it's one of the reasons why uh, why we call it open treatments in the first place and sanath when you look to the future what do you see for open treatments I see a couple of different directions here. Um, if if I, if I take a step back from um, the tactical stuff, stuff that we are doing and look at our mission, our mission is to enable treatments for uh, every single patient across uh, the country or across the world, um, irrespective of uh, their geography and, and rarity. Uh, an emission this broad essentially needs a, a lot more perspectives and a lot more investments and a lot of lot of other angles that we would we would go into. Um, and so, in, in the in the short term future, I see ourselves expanding to um, anti-suns uh, therapies as well, uh, and potentially get into drug repurposing um, as well, because those have uh, been a lot. There have been a lot of demand in those two spaces uh, from patient foundations. Um, in the long run, I I see ourselves. Um, uh, discovering uh, and publishing, you know, new models of drug development. Uh, these could be innovative funding models um, that patient foundations could take and, and move forward. Uh, these could be innovative business models that that companies could pursue to tackle these um, market failure diseases, like like the ones that my son has, which is nine patients worldwide. Uh, and these could also be, you know, innovative technologies like like quantum computing that we can leverage to solve some of these challenges. Uh, while I don't hope to solve any of these challenges myself, uh, the hope is that we can bring in the right people, have them talk about it, and then publish it for the benefit of the rest of the community. And so in addition to the software platform, tactically helping foundations build treatments, we will also be thinking ahead as a thought leader in this space about how this industry should progress in the future. And, and David, as a drug developer, how do you see platforms such as open treatments uh, impacting drug development, especially for rare families? Yeah, I think what, what is, is clearly a benefit is that there is now a an entry point for families and you don't then need to contact lots of different companies, talk to a lot of different researchers. This is a starting point and it helps uh, families also define the next steps. What do you need to know? What do you need to, to resource? Um, and I think this is really enabling because there are so many families out there that, that have uh, a child with a rare condition. So to be able to help them at scale, I think is very important. So um, each of our guest speakers in this repurposing series has emphasized the power of collaboration as a key to factor in success. Um, so Sanath and David, your collaboration is really an inspiring example of that. Thank you for um, having me here. And it's a, uh, uh, it's a pleasure to be always working with you all because uh, you you have the patient's interest in mind in in especially working with David has been um, just an incredible pleasure. Um, I can't wait to see how our journey shapes up in the next couple of years, but I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I really look forward to uh, 
to seeing the results from the repurposing screen. Well, I want to thank David and Sanath for sharing their drug repurposing collaboration today. Truly inspiring project. And I really think it'll potentially speed up the drug development process and more importantly, provide hope for many other families. Um, we will all be following your journey and, and we wish the best of health for, for Raghav. This concludes our series on drug repurposing. And I want to thank Barbara so much for joining us for the series. Well, Chris, it was a pleasure. And to hear the experiences of patients such as our first guest, David Fagenbaum, and uh, today's guest, a parent like Sanath, and then all my colleagues, the drug hunters, Ian Vad and now David, uh, really motivates me to connect more patients with researchers. And I encourage those that are listening to contact us through our show page. Throughout this series, we've had the opportunity to examine drug repurposing from several vantage points, clinician patient, scientist, and advocate. And what we've learned is that while drug repurposing brings opportunities to get treatment into patients' hands faster, it is by no means a silver bullet solution. The process of identifying existing therapies with the potential to treat a different condition is not always easy. As Dr. Fagenbaum emphasized in our kickoff episode, connecting with the necessary experts is essential and as our own Charles River scientists Ian and Vad explained in episode two, it is through the use of new technologies, such as artificial intelligence and machine learning, that drug hunters are able to unlock secondary uses for existing therapies. Historically, these experts and technologies have not always been readily available to rare disease patients. But through Sanath's tenacity and determination, he was able to track down the resources he needed to repurpose a drug for his son's ultra-rare disease. And now, it is the same passion that has led him to convey his knowledge and empower the rare disease community with his collaborative platform, Open Treatments. Our guest speakers were all change agents in their drug repurposing journeys, each bringing a unique skill set to the table. Be it at the bedside, behind the bench, or from the other side of the computer screen, we've seen that with a spirit of partnership and willingness to pool our collective expertise, we can go further together. We hope you enjoyed all three episodes. If you missed any, we encourage you to catch up by visiting seariver.com slash vital science. We'd also love to hear from you. Share your feedback and story ideas with us by emailing vitalscience at crl.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>